and welcome back to Altered States of Context. Today, Brian and I will wrap up Season 2. We'll talk about some themes from this season, review some of the things that we've talked about and some of the interviews we've done, and talk a little bit about what we'll be up to in Season 3. We've been recording interviews already and have scheduled more, and sometime in the late winter, early spring, we'll have more new episodes. So in the meantime, you can catch up on our old episodes and see what else uh, we've recorded and rejoin us again next year when we continue to dig into the burgeoning psychedelic renaissance and the issues that that creates and the potential benefits that it brings. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you are so moved and enjoy the show, please feel free to share with your social media contacts, friends, and colleagues, and help us broaden this conversation. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a wrap, huh? That's season two done and in the books. Um, what do you think, Brian? Wow, we finished season two already, huh? Yep. That went by quickly, it seemed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, preparing for, for having this discussion, you know, we went back and looked at, you know, some of the interviews that we did. And yeah, I feel like we've really covered a lot of ground um, in the interviews that we've done and the topics that you and I have talked about this season, Nate. Yeah, from from bad trips to some really, I think, cool interviews with with a lot of folks. And, um, you know, we're going to come back again. You know, we've had fun. We've got, you know, people queued up for another season. So we're going to take a break here uh, throughout the fall and kind of maybe record some interviews uh we want to do this at a sustainable pace so we can keep it up and um i think in the late winter probably we'll come out with season three um that that's the plan you know this has been really enjoyable um and like i said i think it's it's sustainable if we do it this way so we'll take a break and have season three come out in 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 the spring and um that'll also you know there's a lot of developments that'll happen between now and then so it'll be kind of fun to you know catch everyone up after after the break i think one of the big stories of this season you know is sort of like this um it's come up a couple different ways and when we talked to zach a couple weeks ago that was uh something we talked about was this sort of hype cycle is when you know it's kind of like a couple years ago it seems like oh my gosh this is launching to the moon fast um but it wasn't very realistic insofar as nothing's really legal and nothing had actually changed yet um, and so it kind of seemed to have this coming back to earth period. And, and, and so seeing how that's all going to shake out between hype and excitement and, um, um, an actual utility and actual usefulness and actual kind of, um, just, you know, it being sort of a interesting and novel and useful experience. So somewhere in there, we're going to settle out into, something sustainable um maybe uh, uh I, but i think that's been the, the biggest story of the last year is sort of 
kind of where that all shakes out popularly in culture. Yeah, I agree with that. There's, there's definitely so much happening now and from a research perspective or, um, you know, a scientific perspective, um, we're, we're learning so much more uh, over the last year or two, you know, it's just like this exponential increase. Um, and, you know, in, in another couple of years, we're going to know even, even more and that, that will be helpful information. You know, somebody asked me, uh, might've been a client or a colleague, you know, do you think we'll get to the point where, you know, if a client comes to you with, you know, X problem and they say, you know, Hey, I'm interested in psychedelics that we'll be able to offer them some advice as to whether they should go for MDMA or psilocybin or something ketamine. And, you know, cause we don't have that data now, right? We have, we have judgment. We, we can sort of make a, make a guess, but uh, there's just so much we don't know. Um, and, and I responded, I thought, yes, I thought in five or 10 years, we will have a much better sense of which medicines are best for which kinds of people. We'll have a better sense of the people that uh, maybe psychedelics, certain psychedelics might be harmful uh, for them. Uh, and so, you know, it's just, again, we keep saying this, uh, but uh, it's just such an exciting time because there's, you know, last time I typed in in clinicaltrials.gov, uh, the search term psilocybin. Uh, I think when when we did this, when I talked about this in an episode earlier this season, there was something like 75 or 80 trials. And I just did it this last week and there were 120 trials of currently active um, clinical trials for uh, just psilocybin. Um, so it is definitely exploding and happening in more universities, more, um, more startups, more locations. Uh, and again, you know, in a couple of years, that's going to lead to a lot of helpful information. Can you imagine if the, you know, if the whole, uh, prohibition fiasco wouldn't have happened where we'd be now, it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of amazing to think about, um, a lot of lost time, but, um, yeah, as you're saying that I had this funny, you know, imagining of like a 10 years from now, you know, future psychiatrist and, and what their sort of a prescription regimen would look like, you know, that, that'd be, that's kind of a funny thought, like in a, especially if you're like, you know, in my, my dream world in which, you know, we're actually getting to the roots of problems, you know, it'd be like, okay, maybe like you said, ketamine for this, or, oh, this is, this is a problem for sort of, uh, you know, high dose of LSD for three times, or this is a low, like, you know, just kind of knowing enough about that. Oh, this is a problem for you're going to need to uh, organize with others to overthrow capitalism. That's the kind of problem you're having. Um, or, you know, maybe this is, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, like, what if we could actually, um, you know, address root causes of problems? And I think psychedelics can help with that on an individual level. Um, but also, hopefully, they can help us, you know, um, just get a different view on the sorts of problems that humans are struggling with. Because I think that my biggest hope for psychedelics is that they can give us a different perspective on um, our social arrangements that we have sort of um, created over, you know, 
the ways we've organized ourselves over the last couple hundred years in the United States of America, and we can kind of get a different perspective and see that, you know, a lot of the problems that we're having might not just be, you know, these little biochemical processes that are off in people's brain that we just need to tweak and get them back to normal so they can go act like a normal productive citizen. Um, so I'm pretty hopeful. Again, there's the, how we use psychedelics individually with a, you know, a patient or a client or whatever, but then there's also, you know, what impact can psychedelics have on the institutions that um, exist to help people? That's, that's probably what one of the things I'm most excited about um, that. And like, like we talked about a little bit with Zach too, I'm really curious to see where the religious use goes from here. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's an area of tremendous curiosity for me. So there's, there's kind of this cool, I don't want to say divergence, um, you know, you know, with you and I, um, cause I think it's a really you know interesting tension and a great fit for this show. Um, but you're kind of going like you're involved in research now and really kind of, plowing into that more deeply. And, and I find myself becoming actually a little bit less interested in cl- clinical use and more interested in the cultural and religious aspect of psychedelics. Um, not that I'm totally lost interest by any means, and I'm still a clinical professional, so I have a ton of interest in it. So I haven't completely lost interest at all. But, you know, a lot of my, you know, intense interest is, is really cultural and religious at this point. And, and like, so I think that that's, um, yeah, likely to make for a lot more interesting conversations. Yeah, that's definitely something that, that, uh, you know, keeps me really hooked into this, this topic area is the, you know, how it sort of touches on a variety of different perspectives or disciplines, you know, spirituality and religion and how it kind of blows up our, uh, you know, cultural, um, institutions, the way that we um, have these, uh, you could argue, artificial divisions between things like psychology and spirituality and religion and and so on. So I love the multidisciplinary nature of the psychedelic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just attended Horizons. I just went to one of the days of Horizons in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Horizons is, I, I think it's the oldest psychedelic conference um, uh, or, you know, the, I think it happened for the first time in New York City in 2007. And I was there, I think, at the first one. I went to the first few and it was a couple of people, you know, it was very small. Um, and it was almost depressing to go to because there was nothing happening then. So you'd go and you'd be reminded about this 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 thing that I was so passionate about and then have to like say goodbye to it again um, and, and Mm -hmm. just kind of put it back in the closet, so to speak. Um, So, you know, at this conference, I had this, this experience and talking to some people about, we were having conversations about the community and about how uh, I, you know, this this is going to sound corny saying it, but how psychedelics kind of bring people together. And even though, like you don't know anything about a person, you know that someone at a psychedelic conference, there's some something that's shared between you. Um, that 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 is really a, for me a nice feeling that it feels like there's real community here, and it's so awesome to see that growing and to see that it's not just mental health professionals, it's mm-hmm. not just you know psychologists or therapists, but it is 
a whole range of folks. And I think we could all benefit from, from learning from each other and teaching each other and helping each other grow. We can help fill in each other's blind spots and help provide perspectives that maybe in our siloed professional lives we wouldn't normally encounter. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and, you know, as much as um, providing a new perspective, I think it's sort of helping um, dissolve older ones, you know, dissolve, like let down those stories enough to kind of see other, other perspectives, other ways of looking at things. Um, I guess this is a, a bit of a teaser for next season. One of the interviews I'm really excited about is um, we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Siri Ming um, in, you know, uh, for next um, season. And, you know, she does relational frame theory. You know, she's an expert in relational frame theory, which is the theory of language um, that undergirds a lot of uh, the, you know, act and um, other third wave behavioral therapies. It's just a basic theory of human language. Um, And we had a chance to have a conversation with her in a, um, a meeting we had um, where we were like, Oh yeah, we got to do this podcast. And um, that just was such an exciting and fun conversation and thinking so much it like literally for the next couple nights, I had a hard time sleeping because my mind was so simulated after that conversation. Um, like I'd be, I, I was just up at night, like my wheels were turning. It was, it was kind of, and I hadn't done any um, psychedelics at that point in quite some time, <laughs> but just the conversation itself. Yeah. Um, was so interesting that it, it, it caused me to think in this really wide open way that I associate with sort of the afterglow of a psychedelic trip a lot of times where it's just kind of like a, you, you, some of the, you know, the, the, the boundaries um, or the familiar habits of thought relax a little bit and you can kind of see greater possibilities. Um, so I think there's a lot to, that's going to be a very fun conversation thinking about how, um, cause I really think that this is sort of, I mean, whatever my, I think what I always come back to is so much of what psychedelics are and so much of what their, uh, their effects end up being is that they either inhibit or relax, uh, or take offline this language function of ours. I mean, I, I personally think that's such everything sort of flows from that because as soon as our language function is taken down, our conceptual categories sort of flow away. And rather than seeing through the same lens we always see through, which is filtered through our linguistic boxes, we're seeing just unfiltered information from the world. And then, yeah, when you build, uh, as you talk about, you build community, you connect with people because you're, you, you're interacting in this brand new wide open way. So you can see people and connect with people on a more deeper level. You can connect with the world around you on a deeper level. You can understand things in a different way than you always understand them. Um, and there's so many implications from that. So that's why I kind of wanted to, to tease that a little bit. Cause I think that's going to be a really neat conversation. It, it was for me when we had the preliminary one, I'm really excited to go, um, deeper into it and to sort of understand more from that perspective, how, how psychedelics may be having their effect and, you know, what that means for set and setting, you know, what that means for how we prepare people, what that means for, you know, the structure we build around people afterwards um, and ourselves afterwards. Yeah. It's, I, you know, you're making me think about, um, 
just this kind of idea of how to best prepare people um, for experiences, which is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, I'd, I'd like to do an episode next season on uh, the phenomena that I'm encountering more and more, which is the the disappointment, the mm. the womp womp, the nothing happened, and how difficult that can be, especially when one gets their hopes up. And, you know, one of the questions that comes up around that is, is there something that people can do that's within their control to, um, you know, to, to facilitate a, a more classical psychedelic experience? Or is that the, the result of their particular brain chemistry uh, and the particular medicine and the particular dose that they chose to use. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so the question of how to best prepare people to me is um, a fascinating one. You know, as a therapist, when I got into this work, I thought I would be most interested in the integration piece. And I am, I find integration fascinating, but I, I was surprised at how interested I became in the preparation of what what can we do and you know clients will ask me that regularly clients that I see for um, you know psychedelic related things will ask me you know what should I be doing the week before a trip you know and uh, of course I have some ideas and I think we have some some good some good wisdom uh, to share with somebody like that um, but I'd like to know more I'd like to really understand why you know why are some people, uh, seemingly coming up empty-handed, um, even when they're taking decent-sized doses, um, and seem to be open and and ready and you know prepared for um, anything that might come up. Yeah, that is a that that is, that's fascinating, and I've seen that as well. And and really high doses that people don't respond to much. Um, uh, that, and that, that's, that's pretty puzzling and interesting. Um, and what do you, what do you mention, you know, you have some you know, wisdom that we do share with people. What, like, what do you say people when, when they ask you that question, when, you know, how do you prepare? I mean, some of the, some of the basic wisdom that I think is helpful is to, um, you know, begin to simplify your life. Uh, meaning, uh, you know, things like uh, phone usage, responsibilities, um, your sleeping, your eating, um, you know, almost like you're going into a meditation retreat, you know, try to slow down, try to begin the process of, of centering inwards um, so that when the, you know, I think about a meditation retreat, like for me, when I think for most people, when they go on a meditation retreat, it takes a few days to settle down. I'm usually arriving Friday after work. It's a busy week. And, you know, it takes a few days just to get to the sort of baseline of like a settled version of myself. And so if you're rushing from your daily life and your habits and your routines right into the experience, mm-hmm. which most people have to do because they don't have the luxury of, you know, take being able to take a week off. Most people have, you know, busy lives. They're trying to fit this in and it could be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, how, how do you help somebody like slow down and be present and find, you know, reduce the responsibilities in their schedule so that they, they go into it with as much of a settled mind as possible. <laughs> 
You know, this makes me think of a story that's like it's it's a it's an integration, not a. I mean, it's an after, not a before story. Um, but you mentioned a meditation retreat, and um, my uh, wife. This was years ago, and um, as part, of, she went to Naropa, as did I. Um, and she, you know, part of her graduate program, uh, which was engaged Buddhism, was the graduate program, and she had to take you know, uh, four weeks of worth of meditation retreat. And so she did hers in two chunks. And the first chunk she did at a, it was a basically a silent retreat for two weeks up in, in the mountains in Colorado, the Shambhala, um, you know, mountain Institute up there. And I had gotten tickets to see, um, this was a tour. This was the dead. So this was, you know, kind of, I think the first tour post Jerry with, I think the surviving members of the band plus Joan Osborne. Um, and as I may have mentioned a time or two, I'm, I'm quite a deadhead and pretty excited about this, but the, the show was Saturday night and Emily's retreat was done Saturday morning. Um, and, and the advice they gave people after a two week silent retreat was like, you know, ease back in nice and slow. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be weird being around mm-hmm. people. Um, so just try to be around only close friends and family and you're not going to feel like talking much because you haven't really spoken in two weeks. And so I pick her up Saturday. I'm like, all right, let's go. And we drive directly from the retreat center to Red Rocks without stopping. Like the first stop was Red Rocks. And then you know, we get out of the car. And I mean, she was tripping harder than the other people there. And it was a dead show. So the other people there were tripping pretty hard. And you could just see as she's walking in line, she's just like looking around wide eyed. And she looked exactly like somebody who was dosed pretty heavily, but she was not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it was very, like she had no idea what to do with that. And uh, it was a great show. It was a really fun show, but it was uh, not the advice you're normally given, you know, to just kind of like take it easy and be calm and quiet and, really focus on, you know, integrating the experience is like zero to 60. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, I think it, you know, one thing that comes up for a lot of people and this, this probably has a lot to do with the fact that psychedelics are still illegal and maybe this will change when there, you could go to the store, but you know, it's hard to find the right dose. It's hard. If you're aiming for, let's say, I want a strong experience. I want to, I want a pretty deep trip, but I don't want to be overwhelmed. I don't want to be completely incapacitated. Um, it's hard to get that right. You're either mm-hmm. undershooting or overshooting. And, you know, so a lot of folks wind up undershooting it and, um, you know, wind up feeling like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really get to where I wanted to go. Um, so it's challenging. It's, it's uh, you know, to, to fit a tripping into our modern lifestyle if your modern lifestyle includes, you know, working, kids, uh, responsibilities, uh, it, it's it's a challenge to fit it into into our lives. I think for for most people, unless you're unemployed or retired or something. Well, you bring up, I think, a much bigger issue. Um, so you're talking about okay, um, simplify. You know, phone responsibilities. Make sure you're sleeping, eating well. Um, I would add like movement, all these things, right? And then you, know, you kind of said, well, it's hard to fit this in. And, and I think the bigger problem here is that it's actually hard to fit ourselves into our lives. Um, you know, our lives are so busy with, uh, you know, um, yeah, various responsibilities running around. 
Um, yeah, if you, you know, if you have kids running kids around, if you don't, I mean, still life, life fills up for everyone. That's my impression. <laughs> Most people I know, um, things get busy. It fills up. You have a lot of responsibilities. You have a lot of obligations. Um, and things happen fast. And I observe this a lot, you know, myself, um, friends, family, people I work with. Um, I think there's not enough room for us in our own lives, mm-hmm. you know, let alone, you know, a psychedelic experience. And, and all of those things you listed are like, yeah, well, those are just things we should do. <laughs> that shouldn't be what we should do. To, <laughs> that's not what we should do to prepare right. for a trip. That's just things we should do so that we can listen to ourselves yeah. so that we can actually see what we need as people because we do need things as people yeah. we have needs. And like the, I think the, the lives that we have so many of us have built for ourselves um, or had built for us or some combination thereof. we've built ourselves in, you know, because you, this is what we're, you know, supposed to do or required to do or need to do to, uh, you know, keep the lights on, like whatever for a complex number of reasons. Um, I think many of us find that, oh man, I don't think my needs fit in my life. Um, uh-huh. And I think that's at the root of a lot, a lot, a lot of the so-called sort of mental health crisis or the opiate crisis, addiction crisis, you name these various crises. They're crises of people not having the room or the space in their lives to actually be present, to actually be there. You know, they always have to be performing a role or um, doing something in order to, you know, meet their basic needs or meet the needs of someone close to them or, um, you know, what have you, that slowing down and paying attention um, and nourishing ourselves with our basic human animalistic needs, social needs, spiritual needs, uh, is something we don't do very much. And so to prepare for a psychedelic trip is to clear the space for that. And hopefully what that can help us do is sort of cement that in our consciousness. If nothing else, the idea that like, oh, I do need to care for myself. And I do actually have things that I need. Like it isn't just, I'm not like a robot or an automaton that can just fill all the roles in my life all the time without consequence to my own spirit, my own self, my own um, person. Um, That I can't just be a role fulfilling machine Um, because I think that so many people are stuck on that, sort of treadmill where it's just always trying to, to, to keep up. And so it just really struck me. I'm like, yeah, what you're describing as preparation seems like what, uh, you know, a healthy life would be paying attention to all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's kind, it of, sad that that's, it's kind of sad that that's exceptional, that that's like, well, this is how you prepare for a big experience. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. It goes back to this idea that, um, you know, our culture is sick. And so, you know, the problems that we label often as mental health problems or we diagnose as mental illness um, are, are really f- nested within systems and within the larger, uh, you know, larger context than, than the individual. And that's often, right, the, the realization or the insight that comes from a psychedelic experience is like, oh, this, this lifestyle that I've bought into is, is is really harming me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like going back to the basics, you know, eating, moving, uh, 
you know, connecting, loving. Um, these are the these are the things that come out of psychedelic experiences, but in a really genuine way, right? They're not like some cliche or some, but they're kind of experienced in a way that is is really affirming. Like, oh yeah, that that makes sense. That's what's missing from my life. I need to slow down, or I need to not. Uh, you know, um, I, I need to not feel like I'm missing something uh, because I don't have this thing or I'm not good enough in that thing. And and so the, you know, it, it's that's what I love about ACT too, right, is that ACT doesn't really subscribe to the disease model of mental health problems. It, it really looks at the larger context. And of course, our culture is is really sick these days. Yeah, you said eating, moving, connecting, loving. I would add like time and nature. And these are all, mm-hmm. I mean, what a common thread here is like these aren't conceptual experiences. You know, it's not a, like it's not a conceptual experience to eat something, to sit down and nourish your body on, on, on food that's that, you know, or or moving your body. It's a, that's a physical just experience. You're moving your body through space. You're, you are embodied um, when you're connecting with another person. I mean, maybe that can be facilitated that maybe that is facilitated um, conceptually, like by the words that you're exchanging with one another. But when there's a deep connection, a deep understanding, you know, it, it's eye contact. It's, it's the feeling of, of seeing and being seen by another person. Um, loving is a deeper level of that when you're, um, and I mean that word broadly, you know, not simply just with a romantic partner, but with um, any human or non-human or the, the, the place in which you're sitting at, at the moment and looking out and being overcome by that sense of um, loving the world around you. These aren't little conceptual things that you've just built you know, with your mind, these are direct experiences and they're direct experiences that we need, you know, but yet we live so much of our life, um, in these to-do lists or, you know, spreadsheets almost like, okay, I got to take care of this and this and this, you know, and we got to earn this and we got to do this and I got to take care of this and we got to make sure we're here by X time. And we got, you know, we, we built this sort of like conceptual overlayer over the entire world that then we need to fit into. We need to fit into this conceptual overlayer rather than let ourselves sort of sink down beneath that, you know, into sort of the warm, direct experience of being a creature, being a physical creature, being a um, embodied sentient being. And I think that's what happens personally um, among maybe among other things, or maybe not among other things. Like maybe that's the thing. I'm very open to the idea that that's the thing. It's just our, the, the, the melting of conceptual boundaries um, via disabling of our linguistic capacity. And then we're just in this, you know, we're just in the soup, like, and we're just feeling our way around. Not that everything you see is true, or, or like, yeah, I think we have, there's lots of epiphenomenon and whatnot that come with a trip, but like, you know, there's something not unconditioned about it. It's an unconditioned experience. Mm-hmm. It's just a direct unconditioned experience. And, and that's completely allows for, and again, to kind of come back to what you said, well, how do you prepare for that? And I mean, that's a, 
Yeah, that that I think that's a good question because it's like what you're talking about there is sort of like warming up for mm-hmm. being connected with yourself for sort of like trying to like you're not preparing for a lot of times you think I think people you know you want to prepare like you're going to prepare for a test what do I need to remember what do I need to do uh, right. what do I need to how do I um like like what's you know what's the what's my studying it's like well no that's not it it's more like you're preparing yourself to enter into an unknown space mm-hmm. and to let go into it you know how to you know you're not there's nothing you need to do it's not there's nothing you need to do all you're doing is preparing to allow yourself to enter that's what prep to me that's you know we talk that's what preparation is it's getting it's it's you know um preparing the ground for you to allow yourself to enter into the space yeah and that's that's hard for for a lot of us right because it, it like you're saying it goes against our cultural conditioning of doing and um, getting busy with ideas and trying to figure it out or solve the puzzle or hack the hack the trip. You know, what's the hack that I can use to get the most out of this, right? Yeah. Uh, we live in this hack. I'm just, I always see this on social media. Like, here's a, here's a new hack, you know, to sort of like cheat and get ahead and win, win life somehow. Um, it's that mindset, that very mindset that, is itself the problem, right? And uh, it's it's hard for many of us to, to even recognize that. And even if we do recognize that, like you and I are talking about this, you know, I sometimes have trouble putting it down myself if I'm entering into a contemplative space, right? I will, it, you know, I will resist that. I think there's something scary about confronting humanness, confronting the fact that we're mortal, confronting the fact that we have these aging bodies, um, there's a lot of payoff to staying in that conceptual map, in those roles and those to-do lists. You know, it's very satisfying to check off the to-dos and to feel like I'm winning and I'm getting ahead and I'm doing all the things I should be doing. Um, and, and and so there's there's something like that's, but it's empty. It's not a real. It's not a you know a nourishing a real deep sense of vitality. I think from that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's, I think, part of what a good psychedelic experience can show us. For many of us who don't, uh, who've maybe never really experienced that deep embodied sense of presence, of being alive, um, or being human, or maybe it's just been a while since you've experienced it, like psychedelics can bring us back to that, remind us. You know, it's a lot of reminding. It's not a new perspective necessarily. It's not like, oh, I'm I'm going to do psilocybin and I'm going to have this, you know, people are often looking for a new perspective, a new way to think about things. And often I think the lesson is it's a reminder of what we already know, but we continually lose contact with. Yeah, that, that makes me think too. I think that's some of what makes it um, very deeply hilarious sometimes too, is because you know you have this experience of a uh, of a pretty profound truth. And you know, when I say like language is offline, like I think it's uh, not completely like it's there somewhere. Like it's like you you like it's, uh, if you search, you can usually find a word or two, and and sometimes you can just get this sort of juxtaposition between you know, remembering it like, and it seems so basic 
and so cliche and so obvious that it can be absolutely hilarious to then compare it to like that vestigial part of yourself that's still hanging on while you're tripping. It's like, so, so you have this experience of like love and like, like all you need is love. Right. And and then you're thinking of the, the, the Beatles song and you know, you're thinking of how obvious and simple it is. And you're also thinking about how true it is and how absolutely cliche it is and how, yeah, like, like it's just this juxtaposition of feeling like it's something that's so mind-numbingly obvious, but so completely off the radar when you're captured by this, um, you know, the mode of mind that doesn't make room. Like, it doesn't make room, and 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 you said it could be, it can be scary, and I think, I mean, I've, that that's obviously true, but at the same time. I don't know if it's scary at all to that part, right? Like the part that's let go into it. I don't think it's scary. It's scary to the list maker, right? The spreadsheet maker. It's scary to the part that doesn't want to let go into the unknown. Um, that's what it's scary to. It's so threatening to that part. Um, and so it is when we think about like, like, like you mentioned, when we, think about preparation it's like that's what we're preparing to do we're preparing to allow ourselves to let go um i mean i think there comes a point with this with a trip if it's and again this is where dosing like we just don't know a lot you know it's and and, and I, I i don't know i wonder how much of it's like it's ever going to be scientifically precise versus just sort of a trial and error person by person. It's like, you know, you have to do certain doses per person for the purposes of research at this point. But, you know, at some point it might just end up being like a person you just, you're going to have to do a series of them and you're going to have, we'll have to fiddle with the dose and just see what, you know, what's, what's right for you. Um, and you might have to have, uh, you know, a few experiences and you might like, you know, getting it dialed in might just be an individualized process. Um, and, you know, so between the actual effect of the drug and also the practice in letting go and like, um, yeah, I've told the story on here before too, but like when I was in college and that, that was very much my experience was playing with dose and, and did, it, was, it was a repeated experiences pretty often, you know, over the course of a year or two, like very often, um, playing with higher and lower doses and this and that before really dialing it in to have some very positive, like very powerful experiences. But there was a lot of tweaking um, the formula right. there and trying a lot of different things before, before getting to that. And it was purely trial and error. And I mean, I think there's trial and error that's maybe a little more um, certainly more educated than that was. I mean, that was just flying blind, but it's still with openness and curiosity it led there. Um, but you know, what does it take to, help ourselves let go and move out of, I just, yeah, I keep coming back to this term, um, you know, like list brain or spreadsheet, spreadsheet brain. Cause I feel like that's just where we kind of reside so much of the time, you know, we're just checking things off, trying to, trying to still feel in control. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed our season two. And as much as we did, uh, what do we have to look forward to in season three, Nate? Well, like I, I mentioned with uh, Siri talking to her about relational frame theory, um, we have a cut. We have some some other interviews set up already, and we're kind of working on more. Hopefully, we'll continue to be able to 
Um, I think one of the themes, I mean, the, well, one of the main themes, if not the theme is sort of like the therapeutic action. Like how does, how does this work as far as in a useful therapeutic way? And when I say therapeutic, I don't even necessarily mean like, I don't mean that in a small, in a therapy room type of way. I mean, like, how does it help make change? You know, um, what, what happens and how can we harness that change making ability, no matter what your circumstances, you know, maybe you do, you are struggling with something in your life and there's sort of like what we would call mental health challenge going on, or maybe you are, you know, at a stuck point, or maybe you're looking for growth, or maybe you just want to develop more, you know, what are the aspects of the psychedelic experience that are most closely tied to making change and how do we leverage that? So we'll continue to explore that. Um, in the next season, you know, all the way down to how it interacts with language, like this interview um, that I mentioned. But I think we'll talk to other researchers, hopefully other um, people involved in religious use and other psychedelic figures generally. Um, that's that's a bit of uh, what we have on tap. Yeah, I'm excited. We're in the process of uh, setting up some interviews with some folks that we think will be uh, pretty exciting guests for for you all uh, next season, and you know something we we try to do as we move along here is uh, just weave in topics from the news. You know, recent uh, recent uh, studies that came out or recent uh, legal developments uh, and things of that nature. So uh, Nate and I try to stay on top of things, uh, which um, is a good problem to have that. It, gets harder and harder to do that as time goes on, just because there's more stuff happening. Uh, but we, we do our best to try to synthesize that and uh, summarize that for you all so that you can feel like you're, you know, keeping, uh, keeping up with the pulse of uh, what's evolving in the psychedelic space. Yeah. And I think that'll be a, um, you mentioned, I think, I think that'll be a really interesting thing to follow. Um, is the um you know legislatively what goes on there's a lot of movements in a lot of different states right now to 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 change um to change the laws around psychedelics to allow supervised use therapeutic use decriminalization um so that's going to be a really interesting thing to follow i'm hoping that continues that grows and continues to and becomes more of a of a story over the next year because i think well our current laws are repressive and should be changed so hopefully that continues to gain steam Yeah. So any, anything else, Nate, to wrap up our season? Anything else that you want to share with the audience? Um, I don't think so. I think when this is released, um, it should be released right before uh, you and I have a training we're going to be doing through the Portland Psychotherapy Institute. So um, if you're interested in that, that's uh, going to be a three-hour training on – do you have the dates in front of you? We can probably put that in the show notes if we don't. Uh, we're but, doing um, this training. Yeah, it's a, a, an act and psychedelics training, which would be on November 4th, Friday, November 4th. Yeah, so this episode will be out before then. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, if, you, if you're interested in that, um, you can uh, sign up. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and then we'll have a couple months off over the holidays, early winter, and we'll come back in the spring um, for more. Just want to express my my gratitude to to our listeners, uh, especially those who might be hanging out for multiple episodes and, and following us along. We really appreciate your 
listening to us and you know we're a pretty small pot podcast but we do have a you know a fair bit of um uh you know traction in terms of uh listeners who who um attend um you know each of our episodes so it's really meaningful to me to to do this work with you Nate and uh feel free to contact us if you have ideas for episodes or if you have any feedback for us um we always love to hear from our listeners about your experience um and helping us do a better job uh at at this podcast stuff yeah absolutely it is it is really amazing to see you know every week we release the episodes and they get to look at the and there's people listening um there seems to be a kind of a um dedicated cohort of you out there which is really really cool and gratifying and you know in the meantime yes reach out email um i use twitter uh at tornado nate is my handle and you know that's a great way to get in touch and um offer feedback or ideas or if you want to appear on the show um and and feel like you have a you know really neat perspective um reach out and and we can talk because i I feel like a big purpose of this is networking building community getting people connected with one another and connected ideas connected with one another to kind of build this um um you know easy metaphor alert of course mycelial network um Yeah, that we can all exchange meaningful information with each other. Well, thanks again for listening. Have a great end of fall and winter, and we look forward to seeing you again in 2023. Yes, ciao.